Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Are you ready? I want to talk to you this morning about coming out of the shadows and into the light. We know that recently Pastor Andreas has spoken a word over our spiritual family. And the picture that he saw was people hiding in trenches, sitting in the shadows, cautious, fearful. And I want to say to you today that when you and I think of the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God works, it does not work through military might, but it works in a way that God shines His light within our hearts and within our minds. It begins from the inside. He illuminates His Word to us, which is the Word of truth, the Word of life that has life in it. Amen? He gives us His Holy Spirit, and He deposits His love within our hearts. In other words, He Himself, because He is love, comes to take up residence in our hearts. There's just a car that's light is reflecting in my eyes and it's distracting, so I'm moving a little bit forward. You saw it too, didn't you? Now what happens is, as we give our hearts to this, as we give our attention to this, as we give our focus to what God is doing on the inside of us and saying to us, each individually, personally, what happens is that light begins to grow brighter. We become more and more aware of it. It sheds light into more places within our hearts. It expands our understanding and some more pieces of the puzzle become clear and they come together. And when this happens, that light begins to emanate from us. Amen? But here's the distinction that I want you to understand. The light is not something that is separate from us or distinct from us. It is a part of who we are becoming. God works not just to shine some light in us and leave us unchanged. The light is the change that takes place in our lives. Amen? The light is the work of Jesus changing who we are as we listen for His voice and as we obey. That's why Isaiah chapter 60 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And when Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says to, his, says to all those he's talking to, he says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You are the light. Not you have the light. You are the light. As we allow our hearts to be impacted and changed by the word, it causes us to change what we pursue, who we pursue, and thus becomes the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. You've heard it said, your word, O Lord, becomes, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And we always still have this idea that it's some external word that needs to come in and tell me what to do next, where to go next. I'm waiting for the next instruction. What it means is that that light, as it shines in my heart with the nature of Christ, begins to inform my pursuits and to change them. And in so doing, casts a light for me to follow on, for me to follow through with. And it's meant to grow ever brighter until Jesus comes again. 
Proverbs 4.18 says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. We read that this week. Any of you lock onto that one? That was one of my favorite verses from this week. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. When you and I set out on this path, the light of dawn beckons us into a new day. The sunrise is a beautiful thing. It's full of hope and opportunity and optimism. It calls us into this, to awaken, to arise, and to get on with the day. The time for slumber is over. And as we get on with the things that God is saying to us, as we get on to follow Him and to hear His voice, so that light and the power of that influence and the grace that works in us and through us by it grows brighter and stronger and greater. As we respond to the light of Jesus Christ that we have received, so the shadows that the world and our adversary have cast over us begin to be dispelled. When does night end? When dawn breaks. I will never forget a geography lesson when I was in high school in Mr. Bester's class. And we were studying temperatures and how the sun warms the earth and we get heat from the sun. And we have the idea that when is the hottest time of the day? Who knows? Who can tell me? I beg your pardon? 12 till 2, quite right, the middle of the day. The middle of the day when the sun is at its most acute angle above the earth, it is striking us most directly. What that means is it's coming in at a straighter angle and so less of the light is deflected by dust and by the ozone layer and all these other things and so more of the power of the sun is coming through to us and so that is why midday to about 2 is the hottest time of the day. It's the most acute angle that the sun is hitting us. When is the coldest time of the day? Can anybody tell me? You would kind of think it's middle of the night, right? Maybe because that's when the sun's the furthest. The coldest time of the day is the moment before the sun comes through. It's the sun that changes everything. It's the light that comes through that begins to warm things up. Midnight is not the coldest point of the night. The time just before the sun comes up, that's when things are the coldest. Because it's the sun that brings the heat. I really didn't plan to share that with you this morning. You got a free geography lesson. But if you read this proverb, listen to what it says. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It begins in the coldest place. It begins in the most hopeless, perhaps the darkest place, But then when dawn begins to break, there is that ray of hope. And if we hold on to that word, and if we take hold of what the Spirit of God is doing, and we pursue it, that hope becomes stronger and stronger and brighter and brighter until full day, right in the middle of it. As you and I respond to the light of Christ that we have received, like I said, so the shadows of our adversary will be dispelled. And we will begin to see ourselves as God sees us. See, Jesus, Jesus shines a light into our hearts through his word. Amen? And he makes this word come alive and be truth to us, carry power to bring transformation in our lives through the power of his Holy Spirit. And he says things like, you are victorious. 
You don't have to maintain that mentality of defeat and want and lack or need. You are victorious. You are righteous in my sight. You are empowered by my, and filled with my Holy Spirit. You are called. Say, I am called. <clears throat> Just like Samuel was called. In other words, God has something on his heart for you. Not just to give you, but for you to do. For you to live out so that your life can have a ripple effect, not just in this world, but right into eternity. So that your life can mean something for the kingdom here and now. You are called and you are authorized. You are delivered and endued with power and with wisdom. If, say if, say if, one more time, if. We choose to embrace the truth and walk in it. And therein lies the catch. You see, all of these things are true. All of these things are true according to what Jesus Christ has done and imparted to you and I through what happened on the cross and His resurrection. Through faith in Him, we have access to all of these things and they can and will be effective in our lives if we embrace these truths and walk in them. Folks, there is no limit to what God can do in and through a life of one who walks in the light of the Lord, the light of the Spirit, the light that He gives us. Let me read you a verse of Scripture from the book of Ephesians. Chapter 5, Ephesians 5, verses 8 to 14, it says this, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. Not you will have light, you have light. So live as people of light. <clears throat> For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. That's why Proverbs 4, verse 8, talks about the righteous. The righteous. Let's go back to it. What did it say? Just bear with me. The righteous are like the light of dawn. And here in this verse it says, The light within you produces what is good and right and true. In other words, righteous. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, Rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Walking in righteousness, folks, means walking in the light. It's the same thing. We have been reading through Proverbs, as I've said, and here's the theme of Proverbs. What's the primary theme up to now? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is to know that we will have to give an account for our lives to God. Every one of us one day will stand before the throne of God and there will be nothing hidden. Everything will be out into the light. Everything will be exposed and we will have to give an account. Amen? That is a fearful thing. Do you not agree? That's what the fear of the, God, of the Lord is all about. It is to acknowledge that God is God and that He is good and that He is righteous because He says He is. It is to apply our lives to the expectations He has for us as our Creator. In other words, I say, you are God and I am not. And because I am not, I am going to bring my life into alignment with what you say, who I am, what I am, and what you created me to do. 
because I don't want to spend my whole life doing something and then arrive in heaven one day and say, Michael, I didn't call you to do that. I wanted you to wash cars for a living. There were a whole bunch of dirty cars on earth that everybody had to look at because you didn't follow your call. To know that God has called us and finally to receive what He says as truth and to walk in it with reverent awe. That's what the fear of God means. What you say is true. It doesn't matter what I think about it. This point always reminds me of years ago, there was a wrestler. We now know him as The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but he started off as a wrestler. And he would go to somebody and uh, he'd hand them the microphone and he'd say, what do you think about this and this? And he'd hand them the microphone. And as soon as they began responding, he would say, it doesn't matter what you think. And although God doesn't do that to you and I, the truth is, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you or I think. It matters what He thinks. What He says is true. And when I come to Him with that attitude, that is an attitude of the fear of the Lord, that I am no position to argue with you. You are God. And only when our fear for God, folks, our fear of the Lord eclipses our fear of anything else will the light of His presence begin to dispel the shadows all others may cast on our souls. I want to say that again. Only when our fear of the Lord eclipses our fear of anything else will the light of His presence dispel the shadows all others may cast on our souls. I want to look to Scripture this morning to give you an example that what you're struggling with is not unique to you. If you go and read Hebrews chapter 11 and chapter 12, chapter 11 is the the hall of fame of all those who accomplished great things for God. You go and read their stories and you see the personal fears and struggles that each one of them had to overcome. You will realize that your battle and your struggle is not unique to you. And that should give you courage. I want to look this morning at the man who in the Old Testament probably is the greatest picture of the coming Messiah that, that there is. Anybody want to guess that one? Moses. Moses was born, as we know, in a time when all the babies of his age were being killed. His mother placed him in a wicker basket lined with tar or pitch and sent him down the river Nile and he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. That's right. You've read the story, haven't you? He was raised in opulence in the palace of Pharaoh's daughter but yet seeing the persecution of his people he chose He refused to be identified as Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to be identified as an Egyptian. Though he could have been, he identified himself as a Jew. And we see that in his young life here, he had a strong sense of justice and a strong strong self-will. He didn't just buckle. He didn't just take the easy route. He had a strong self-will. And that strong self-will led him to drive a, a javelin through an Egyptian guard that was beating a Jew. And he stood up for it and he said, no, this is wrong. And he drove a javelin through him and murdered him and then he had to run for his life. The disappointments of Moses' life clearly left an indelible mark on him. 
Because in the early times, in the early seasons of his life, we see that he was a man of conviction, a man of action, a man of boldness, a man of righteousness who would stand for what is right. And then something happened as he acted on it in the wrong way, where he had to run for his life. And for the next 40 years, he spent his life in the desert, in isolation. And this is where God finds him and meets him. Anybody remember how? This burning bush. He comes along one day and sees a bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. And he draws near and a voice speaks to him and says, no, you take off your sandals, this is holy ground. And God begins to speak to this man called Moses. And I'm going to start reading from Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. He said, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. In other words, Moses, I'm identifying with you here. The same thing that led you to drive that javelin through that man, that pain, that anger, that frustration, I'm with you in that. I know what you're feeling, and I know what you're working through. And that huge disappointment Probably all of those things, everything that drove him to spend the next 40 years of his life probably all rushed into his heart and mind. And then God says to him, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And surely Moses went, Yes, it is time. Let's do this. But instead we read this. Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? Those last 40 years of his life had drained him. That dream, that hope, that firm desire within him had been quashed. And now Moses didn't think he was worthy or capable of anything. God says to him, I will be with you. And God tells Moses that Pharaoh will not let the people go and that he will, as a result, stretch out his hand against Pharaoh and judge him. He also said that he would grant the Jews favor, that when they come out of Egypt, they're not going to come out empty-handed, but they're going to come out with spoil, very, very wealthy. And then a little bit later, Exodus 4 verse 1 again, but Moses protested again. But what if they don't believe me and listen to me? You're sending me to these people. They haven't seen me in 40 years. What if they don't believe me? Why would they? All the natural reasonings. I mean, think about it. I ran away 40 years ago. Who's even going to remember me? Who who am I to go back to these people and start sharing this message with them? Why would they believe me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? And so God gives Moses signs. He says, your rod, put it down. It turns to a snake. He says, pick it up. He picks it up. He says, now, I want you to put your hand in your jacket, in your, in your breast. And he does so, and he pulls it out, and it comes out leprous. And he says, do it again. And he puts it in, and it comes out healed. He says, do these things, and the people will believe you. And if they don't believe you, go to the Jordan, take a glass of water, and pour it out on the ground. And as you pour it out on the ground, it'll turn to blood. I am giving you signs and wonders to demonstrate to the people that they will believe you that I am sending you. To which Moses said, that is so cool. Let's give it a go. Was Moses convinced? Verse 10, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, Lord, I am not good with, with, very good with words. I, have, I, I never have been, and I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. Listen to that. Even though you've spoken to me. Did you get that? 
even though you've spoken to me. I think this is where many of us get stuck. Lord, even though you've spoken to me, I still feel this way. I'm still timid because of this. I'm still afraid because of that. And I have this reason and that reason. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And the Lord said to Moses, Who makes a, man, a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what you say. But again, Moses pleaded, Please, Lord, send someone else. And then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. He then said to Moses, By the way, when you go, don't be fearful. Those who were seeking your life back then, they've all died. Go, I will be with you. You have nothing to fear. I want to bring you out from under the shadow of Egypt. Folks, many of us struggle with fears. Different fears. We're all different. These things that cast a shadow over us and fill us with anxiety and fear that keep us sitting in trenches, that keep us from taking steps of faith. For some of us, it's the fear of inadequacy. I'm not good enough. I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. I can't do these things. I'm not worthy. I'm not capable. <clears throat> For some of us, it's the fear of making mistakes. What if I get it wrong? It's that fear of failure. What if I mess this up? For some of us, it's the fear of embarrassment. Pride. But I'm going to look so stupid. Or this makes no sense. People are going to think I'm crazy. For some of us, it's the fear of rejection. Just like Moses. What if they won't receive me? What if they don't give me the response I think I should be receiving from them? For many of us, it's the fear of the opinions of men, which indicates that we don't know our true identity. Just like Moses, simply knowing what God said is sometimes not enough. We so often talk about the Word of the Lord, knowing the Word of the Lord. You could spend a lifetime reading this, but yet take no action, not allow it to transform you, still listening to the voice that casts the shadow of fear over your heart and over your soul. Moses needed to know that God was with him, and Moses even needed to lean on the strength of his brother Aaron. And here's the beautiful thing. God was angry, but he still met Moses where he was. He was determined to do what it takes to get Moses to act. And I want to say to you that in your situation, God is he's persevering. Maybe he's frustrated, but he is persevering with you to bring you into the plan and purpose that he has for your life. And likewise, you and I need to lay hold of a deep surety that he is with us 
knowing where He has called us to stand, what He has called us to do, and that He is at work on our behalf in the person of the Holy Spirit, and that we are not alone in this. Turn to the person next to you and say, Hello, Aaron. God has set us in a body of believers to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to challenge one another. Hey, why are you sitting on your backside? Come pray with me. I've watched Siobhan this week. Have you been reading Proverbs? Have you been enjoying Proverbs? What's your favorite verse? What did God speak to you? And he's asking, he's in everybody's face. Come on, we're doing this together. He's encouraging you. He's saying, come on, I'm not doing this alone. We're in this together. I look at it and I'm going, yeah, that's great. The more we learn to trust and follow the person of the Holy Spirit, the more He will be able to dispel the shadows of the fears and excuses we've created for ourselves. Listen, folks, God has delivered us from them all. The fears we grapple with are those we choose to hold on to. Did you get that? They're excuses. They show that we do not have a proper idea of who our God is or who He has made us to be. Who will bring us out of this? Because many of us know the word already. Was the word enough for Moses? He needed the help of the Spirit. And you and I too need the help the person of the Holy Spirit. To take that which has been said, as Craig mentioned, to take that which has been spoken and to bring it to life. As we begin to give ourselves to that pursuit, saying, God, bring it to life again. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. I am not satisfied to stay. I am tired of giving in to the excuses. I want to lay hold of that for which you have laid hold of me. I want to arise in prayer, in the power of the Spirit, and shine that your glory may be seen upon me and that others may be drawn to you through the transformation and the grace that they see in my life. Let me close with this portion of Scripture. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7. to 7. I'm going to read from the message. It says, This, in essence, is the message we heard from Christ and are passing on to you. God is light, pure light, There's not a trace of darkness in Him. If we claim that we experience a shared life with Him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. Whoa, that's heavy. That's heavy. But it's true, isn't it? Amen? Amen. Listen, the truth will set you free, but it's going to confront you and make you uncomfortable first. Because what is it setting you free from? It's setting you free from the lies you've identified with and made your own. The New Living Translation of that verse says it this way, So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Why? Because He is light. And when He comes into a situation, darkness flees. Fear flees. I have given you a spirit of, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power 
and of love and of a sound mind. Let's read this verse again. We are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, power, love, sound mind, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Carrying on from the message. But if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, we also experience a shared life with one another as, a sac- as the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's Son, purges all our sin. Isn't that beautiful? This brings us into a wonderful unity within the body of Christ. This brings us into a shared communion of those who are in the light, walking in the light, and pursuing the light. Let's step out from the shadows, church. Let's begin to allow that. How do we do that? By allowing the light of the Holy Spirit to shine in our hearts. That means giving Him time. That means praying in the Spirit. That means encouraging one another. And yes, getting into the Word. But as we read the Word, listening for that voice, which makes it life and light to us. Amen? To close off, I'm going to hand back over to Craig, who's going to lead us in communion. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.